Let's pray one more time together. Lord, as we enter into a time of studying your word, pray that you would speak to us. Again, there would be a, a newness or a freshness to you, to our hearing your word. God, that we'd be willing to be obedient to you and to you alone. God, that you would change our lives even in this short time together this morning. That we would be mindful of what you desire of us in your kingdom. And that we would, with joy, and maybe even with rejoicing, willingly be obedient to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know those statements that you make and that I've made where you say something like, I would never do that, fill in that, the blank, whatever that is. And you've tried to even manipulate that statement a little bit because you've seen how it works. You, you, you would say, I would never do that. And then years later you look back and like, well, I'm doing the very thing that I, would, that I said I would never do. And so you want to manipulate it and you try and force it to go in the direction you want, like saying things like, well, I would never move to Red River, New Mexico. You know, you try to manipulate. I'm gonna, I would never move to, or whatever the case may be. Many of you in the conversations I've had with you since we've been here said things like, I would never live in southeastern New Mexico. I would never, when I, when I saw Lovington, I, I thought I would never live here. We drove through here one time. We were just like, oh, please, Lord, never move me there. And yet, here, here you are. You know, those statements, uh, I never statements, are difficult to say when you're wanting or desiring to be a follower of Jesus. We, we tend to put stipulations upon what we're willing to do for Jesus. And not just to throw conviction on you at the beginning here, but I just wonder in your own life when you confess Christ as Lord, how many statements since that time, or how many times have you made the statement since that confession of Christ as Lord, how many times have you made the statement, I would never do fill in the blank? I should remind you, last week we talked about false prophets or false, yeah, false apostles or false prophets. And about how one of the things that they're trying to do, a false prophet, is he's, he or she is trying to put on you guilt, trying to shame you into doing something uh, for his or her kingdom. And I think it, it probably warrants a longer amount of time, but I just want to touch just for a second on the difference between holy conviction and guilt. See, see normally guilt is something that's anti-biblical, something that's uh, someone is trying to put weight upon you or the guilt that you feel that goes against what the Bible says has happened to you or will happen to you. It goes against what Christ has said or what against what Christ is doing or has done. A holy conviction comes from Christ. It comes from His Spirit showing you truth, showing you what the Word of God says. And it steers you in the direction of confession, repentance, and salvation. It steers you in the direction of repentance, confession, and sanctification. The guilt that false prophets put on us, or things that are against the Bible, or things that come from Satan, steer us away from salvation, steer us away from righteousness through Christ. 
steers us away from the completed work of Christ. Guilt, worldly guilt, guilt that comes from sin and from Satan, will always lead us away from Jesus. Holy conviction, and how you tell the difference between the two, holy conviction will always lead you in the direction of Jesus. So when you feel this week or during this sermon, when you feel guilt or conviction, and you're trying to discern between the two, is this guilt, in what direction is it taking you? Are you hearing words or hearing correction or hearing rebuke or discipline and saying, this is steering me in the direction of sanctification or steering me in the direction of salvation or steering me in the direction of Christ's completed work? And if so, then you can say, this is holy conviction. But if you look at it and you feel it and you say, this guilt is leading me away from the completed work of Christ, it's leading me, trying to get me to perform my own righteous works in order that I may count salvation to myself because of the things I've done or it's leading me towards more sin. Or we could probably say that that is not from Jesus. It's from someone or something else. So as we talk this morning on a heavy topic, I want us to be mindful of conviction from the Holy Spirit or conviction from Jesus that should lead us towards repentance. It should lead us towards confession of Christ as Lord. It should lead us towards salvation. Or those who have already experienced salvation or holding on to salvation, it should lead us towards holy conviction, should lead us towards the process or the art of sanctification, becoming more like Christ every day. So as we've been preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, when Christ has begun sharing with those who follow him what behaviors in the kingdom look like, the past three weeks we've studied some serious topics. We'll go back to we'll go back to verse 13 in chapter 7. Verse 13 in chapter 7 says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate that is narrow, for the gate that is narrow and the way that is hard is the the gate and the way that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So Christ begins narrowing down. He begins preaching about the behavior in the kingdom, what followers of Jesus will look like, those who have been clothed in his righteousness, those whose sins have been washed away by his blood and his sacrifice, what will their behavior look like? And who will be on that path? Remember from John 14 that Christ said that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one goes to the Father except through him. So he's saying there is one path. If you read the article that was posted last week, Ed Stetzer talks about how shepherds and leaders in the church are having to grab their machete and, and cut away the overgrowth, the things that have grown over, maybe tradition or false prophecies or whatever it is, lies that have grown over the path. And we're having to trim back the overgrown growth that has covered up the way with so many things. We talked about last week that false prophets seem as if they're people belonging to God, but they are not. Their words sound similar to words that are from God, but they're not from God. They're preaching a different gospel. They're preaching about a different kingdom. Instead of the Sermon on the Mount, we talked about it's more like the Sermon on the Mat. Somebody's preaching about themselves instead of about 
Christ. Verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. I mean, how many of you this week, we, you were in conversation with someone, and you heard someone say something that was similar to what you've heard from the Bible, but you were, you were hesitant. You had a holy skepticism about you. You wanted to be discerning. And you said, wait, I'll wait for that tree to bear fruit before I decide if it's from Jesus or not. Verse 16, you will recognize them by the fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased trees bear bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus really is trying to divide He's trying to separate. He's trying to show those he is clothed with righteousness and those who are trying to have a righteousness on their own. If you remember back to the sermon that he's finishing up preaching here and the things that he calls out about people. Go back to verse or chapter one, verse sorry, chapter six, verse one. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. He's talking about Pharisees, the ones who seem to be religious rock stars. And their righteousness is all accounted to them on their own behalf. The, the acts that they're performing. He calls them hypocrites, actors, a person who puts on a mask to pretend to be someone they really are not. And so Christ says this in verse 21, Matthew 7, verse 21. It gets really serious. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Christ talks about a narrow way. He talks about false prophets. And he sums it up in saying, those who are not doing the will of my Father, though they may have said, Lord, Lord, they will not have an inheritance or they will not enter the kingdom of heaven because they are not doing the will of the Father. Do you remember what the center point in the Sermon on the Mount is? What it's all based around? If you remember, we've said it a number of times. The center point of the Sermon on the Mount is, Thy will be done. That God's will would be done in His kingdom. That God's will would be done in His followers' lives. So here we are in this moment where Christ is saying, All these behaviors that I'm talking about, all these things that I'm desiring of you to do in the kingdom, they all sum, all summing up leads to obedience of the king, obedience of the creator, o- obedience of the Lord of lords. To sum it up, thy will be done means that we are obedient to Christ and Christ alone. And when we recognize who Christ is and that our only hope is in him, then we will begin to be obedient to Him and only Him. I mean, would our church look different if we were only obedient to Christ? Would your family look different? Would your career be different? Would your retirement look different? Would your Monday look completely different because you were completely obedient to Christ and nothing and no one else? Here we are, almost 2,000 years since the first followers of Jesus those early church members saw firsthand the power of Jesus. Well, we're in this moment of trying to remember 
what we've learned by studying and what other people have taught us, these early believers, these first disciples of Jesus saw firsthand. They saw the miracles he performed, the lives he healed, the evil he removed. I mean, many saw the empty tomb, the nail-scarred hands, and the resurrected life with their own eyes. And some even witnessed his ascension and had his words and his commands echoing through their ears. Those first-generation Christ followers became obedient only to Christ. They confessed Christ as Lord, and under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, allowed Christ to be Lord of their lives. They became obedient to Christ only, because they knew he was the only thing and only one worth living their lives for. And here we are today, living in a dichotomy. We, we have an issue. We have more people who fit into these scriptures, 21 through 23, in Matthew 7 than we do those who would fit in the book of Acts. We have too many nominal believers, too many nominal Christians, nominal meaning in name only, a hypocrite, an actor, one who's pretending. I mean, Acts 10 teaches us about how Peter became obedient to Christ, even changing his normal religious eating activities and who he could associate with. He was willing to change everything. Acts 15, we see Peter teaching again, rebuking the church leaders, reminding them that they were putting a yoke on believers that no one else could bear. In a sense, the church had, become, uh, had come to a dilemma that we face today. You may be a follower of Jesus, but you need to prove this by attendance, giving records, food you eat, drinks you don't drink, uh, who you vote for, clothing, hairstyle, etc. It's a dilemma we face today. Will we know that you are a disciple? How will we know that you're a disciple of Jesus? Because of your love for one another and we add all these other things. If you love Jesus and you do these things, if you love Jesus and do these things, then surely we know that you will that you are a follower of Jesus. I mean, is this not what Christ is teaching against? He's saying, Lord, uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, but Lord... Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? He just spoke about uh, false prophets. Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? I mean, maybe in our world today we might say, but Lord, look at all the activities that we have for followers of Jesus to be a part of. We have missions, kids ministry, youth ministry, divorce care, young married, singles, widowed, married again, orphans, Lottie Moon, Annie Armstrong, state missions, Compassion International, Christian Radio, support groups, prayer, food pantry, VBS, Sunday school, Operation Christmas Child, disaster relief, shut-ins, lock-ins, camps, celebrate, celebrate recovery, not to mention the heaping pile of church committees that any good Baptist should be a part of. I mean, it's a wonder that anything regarding the kingdom and the kingdom work can be done with the way that our church, the American church, is so busy doing religious activities. Many of us have heard Hebrews 10.25 and we take it to heart. We have not neglected meeting together. We meet and we meet and we meet We take it to heart. However, we've neglected our neighbor. We've neglected the world. We've become so busy with activity we've deemed necessary. We've we've neglected the weightier things of the kingdom. We've neglected worship of Jesus. It's almost as if we've decided to believe in the lie that Jesus said, be busy doing stuff in my name. 
If we're doing stuff in Jesus' name and we're busy at it, surely we're doing the right things and surely we will be righteous. Christ teaches against that. Those who do the will of the Father. A follower's life should be centered around the will of the Father. We wake up daily saying, Today, Lord Jesus, I've called you, Lord, and today I'll be obedient to you and you alone. I mean, those things that we mention, the list of activities that we've deemed religious, I mean, they're not, a, they're not bad things. I mean, they're good things. Many of them good moral things. Many of them good religious things. Christ taught about good religious things in the Sermon on the Mount. Good religious giving and fasting and praying and love of the enemies and how uh, we shouldn't divorce and we shouldn't lust and we shouldn't kill. He talked about many good things. But these things become bad when we become like the religious rock stars of the day and the Pharisees of the day and we think that by doing those things we can become righteous. You cannot clothe yourself with righteousness. You cannot continue doing good things and think at one one point in your life that you will become the goodest of them all. These things become bad things when we think that our righteousness is based upon the good things that we do instead of the great thing that Christ did we often exchange obedience for activity. And we think that our activity will lead us to righteousness. I mentioned to you before, one of the missionaries that I've worked with constantly says over and over and over again, obedience to Christ over any activity. Obedience to Christ over any activity. We have to, as followers of Jesus, say, if Christ in his sermon on the mount, if Christ in his life on this earth made the Father's will the most important thing in his life, then so should I. I mean, truly these words from Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father, these words should be alarming. These words should stir something deep within our soul that we might be willing to, to change, that we might be willing to confess Christ as Lord and to truly believe that He is Lord of our life. The one who does the will of the Father. Obedience over activity. Followers of Jesus aren't supposed to necessarily just fill their lives up with time or fill their time up with religious activities, but instead should be focused on doing the will of the Father. Let I me mean, think for a moment. Just as we celebrated, and I mentioned to you as a, a little prelude to what we're talking about this morning, oh, forgot, almost. We have to do the Lord's Supper today. That's not worship of Jesus. That's talking about a religious act. It's talking about a, a lie, not a genuineness. I mean, how many of you this morning woke up and thought, and, and if you did, please, Praise you for real. How many of you just woke up this morning saying, we get to go worship with others. We get to go worship Jesus with other believers. I would dare say that the majority of us woke up this morning saying, yet again, it's Sunday, and I know what I need to do today. I'm going to get up and I'm going to 
fulfill my religious duty or the acts that I'm supposed to be a part of. Can you imagine husband or wife? Can you imagine maybe it's actually happened in your marriage? Can you imagine the response when your spouse did something great for you and you responded with, well, you only did that because you had to. You only did that because because it's your duty. You only did that because it's your it's your married act that you have to do. What a terrible way to be in love. And yet Christ loves us so much. And how often do we treat him the same way? I mean, we are the bride of Christ with a groom who loves us beyond all comprehension. And yet we treat him as a religious act or religious duty. Right, we've confessed, we say, Lord, Lord, yet we, did, we have no desire within us at all to do the acts or the will of the Father. Many times our religious activities take precedence over our obedience to Christ. How many times have you had a moment where you saw maybe a neighbor who needed to be loved or even a family member who needed to hear about Christ or to experience a fruit of the Spirit, patience or love or joy or whatever fruit you want to bear from, from Galatians 5. And yet, because a religious activity got in the way, they missed out on the presence of Jesus. Many times our religious activities take precedence over our obedience to Christ, and we lose sight of the Father's will for our lives, of walking with Him daily, of daily abiding in Christ, daily walking with Him, daily allowing Him to lead our lives since we have been bought with a price and we are no longer our own. It's probably the most convicting statement in the Bible. The Pharisees, because they were trying to account righteousness to themselves by themselves, thought that they owned themselves. Christ's teaching, his example, laying down his life, willingly being obedient to the Father, gives us the example of what our lives should be about, what our behavior should be about in his kingdom. Us willingly being obedient to him and to him alone. I mean, think for a moment. If we're obedient to Christ and Christ alone, as we go back through the sermon that he just preached, when he asks us to be salt and light to the world, it's not a burden, it's worship of Jesus. When he and he alone fulfills prophecy and law, we're not burdened by it and embarrassed by it, but instead we worship Christ because he is the only truth. When we feel anger, and we want to respond as the world responds. We're not burdened that, oh, Christ has asked me to do different. But instead we say, I can worship my Savior by the way I respond in this situation. When we deal with lust and adultery, we deal with the weight of it. We don't say, oh, out of guilt, man, I'm guilty again. Or we worship Jesus because he's forgiven us of it. And we ask him, Lord Jesus, change me daily. When we deal with difficult topics like divorce, we see what Christ wants and we don't say, I'm going to stay married because Christ wants, doesn't want me to divorce. We don't look at it that way, but instead we say, I can honor Christ in my marriage. I can worship him in my marriage by the way that I respond in marriage. 
We talk about swearing and oaths, retaliation, all these things, the love for our enemies. We don't look at them as a burden, another, uh, another thing to follow, another list of rules, but instead we look at it as worship of Jesus and Jesus alone. We think about even in our giving. We referenced Matthew 6, 1, where Christ is saying, Beware of those who practice their righteous acts so that others can see them. I mean, even in our giving of money, back to kingdom priority, it should be an act of worship, not a duty or a religious act. It should be an act of worship to Christ and Christ alone because we see who he is. Prayer, again, another thing that he taught. Well, I missed out on prayer. It shouldn't be like Muslims who have to pray at these specific times, but instead, what an honor we get to worship Christ as we speak to him through prayer. We look at fasting. We don't say, uh, like the hypocrites, the hypocrites who he gives the example of the actors that he's, repre- or he's talking about here. We're not saying it's another burdened thing that we have to do, but instead, because of my worship of Christ, because of the process and the art of sanctification, because I want to be more like Christ. Praise Jesus, I can worship him even while fasting. And then the things that the, the church in America deals with the most, laying up treasures in heaven and anxiety. We don't look at, we don't look at losing things as a burden. Well, Christ is it. And I'm going to follow him and I want to be obedient to him. He says, go sell all my possessions. What a burden that is. I won't have anything. We have Jesus and Jesus alone. And obedience to him alone gets us to that point where we see that he is enough. I had a grandmother pass away last week fought and lost to cancer. You've Maybe you've experienced it. Maybe you're dealing with it yourself. Brad and I were talking just for a moment this morning about what a great representation of sin that cancer is, that we think that we can take care of it. We think that we got things under control, but we need something greater than ourselves to help us, something greater than ourselves to come and cleanse us. Too many people say, oh, I'm going to handle this on my own. What a scary moment. What a fearful moment. What a moment of awe and respect and worship should should happen when we see that we cannot do anything without God. We cannot do anything without Christ. We are in desperate need of Him. And as followers of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, Daily we should be saying, in obedience to him, Lord, let me worship you with every bit of my life as I am obedient to you and you alone today. Let me not store up treasures on this earth or be anxious about things on this earth. Let me not judge people as the world judges people. Let me not lust like the world lusts. Let me not have anger like the world has anger. Let me not give like the world gives or fast like religious rock stars give. Let me not pray like just some uh, person who's burdened with a duty to pray, but instead let me worship you in obedience daily with the honor of doing all those things and having that behavior because you and you alone are worthy of it. We no longer live for ourselves. 
But instead, we begin living for Christ and Christ alone. Christian, is is it more important for you to perform religious activities or duties? Or is it more important for you to be obedient to Christ and Christ alone? We're looking for ease and comfort and easy buttons and shortcuts and hacks on life. We're looking for rose-colored glasses and coupons and discounts. We're looking for the best product that we could ever imagine that we'll never need anything else. And Christ is it. And Christ is pleading with these that's listening to him as he's preaching this message. Do not miss this. Do not be about religious activities, saying the right things, performing the right acts, and completely miss the will of the Father. Obedience to him and him alone. We cannot fall into these traps. We must be obedient to Christ and Christ alone. And obedience simply translates into worship of Jesus. And when we worship Jesus and Jesus alone, and we see the beauty in him and him alone, then we want the whole world to know about him and him alone. A few years ago, we took a group of students out to the Navajo Reservation we had a group of students that were, were burdened for one particular senior adult Navajo woman named Priscilla. Uh, she, she walked everywhere. She didn't own a vehicle. She, she lives by herself at the time. And they were burdened for her safety. They were burdened for her comfort. They wanted to provide her with things that would add ease and comfort to her life more and more. And Priscilla's a believer. And uh, as they began sharing with her, hey, we, we want to help you. And she said, great, give me a ride home tonight. So we put her on the church bus and took the church bus to places it should never have gone before. In the middle of the, uh, or in the night, in the dark, can't see anything other than the, what the headlights are shining on. And she kept telling us, yeah, see my house up there. No, Priscilla, we can't see your house. It's dark. Well, it's just right up there on the hill. There's a hill? We're going towards a hit. We can't see anything. Just keep going, just keep going, just keep going. So we finally get to her house and we drop her off. And she walks inside, not a security light one. She doesn't turn on the lights inside her house. Nothing. Biblically speaking, she's in the dark. Uh, Materialistically speaking, she's in the dark. And so we're driving away, hoping that we can remember how to get back out to Paved Road, past the three coffee cans and the Mountain Dew can and the one dead head, uh, prayer dog. And then we knew we were close to pavement. And as we are driving, students are feeling more and more burdened. She needs this. She needs this. She needs this. She needs this. Tomorrow when you see Priscilla, ask, Priscilla, ask her. Hey, do you want, we, we saw that you need a light. You need a security light. You need this. We can get solar panel. We can do all these things. We, we, can, we can meet your needs. So Priscilla walks to the church the next day, to the church building. Students circle around her. Priscilla, we saw these are the things that you need. The things that you need. The things that you need. And they're saying these things in Jesus' name. But they're missing Jesus. In Jesus' name, you need a light. In Jesus' name, you need running water. In Jesus' name, you need food. In Jesus' name, you need security. In Jesus' name, you need comfort. In Jesus' name, you need blessedness. Saying it in Jesus' name, and all the while missing Jesus. 
I mean, what if we as a church decided to be obedient to Christ alone and said, in Jesus' name you need Jesus, in Jesus' name you need Jesus, in Jesus' name you need Jesus, in Jesus' name you need Jesus. What if our hope was only in Jesus? What if our trust was only in Jesus? What if our obedience was only in Jesus? Then I think at that moment, we would be followers of Jesus. Lord Jesus, help us. You said to a group of believers in Matthew 23, Woe to you. You've neglected the weightier things, the things that truly matter. God, please, as a group of people who are the people belonging to you because we trust in the guarantee of our Savior, help us not to be hypocrites. Help us not to be actors. Help us to be obedient to you and you alone. Help us to see today that our need is Jesus and expressing that in our own lives means worship of you. God, help us to worship you and you alone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.